Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. I'm a designer, brand strategist, and principal at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. On today's episode, we have a special rebroadcast of my conversation with Amy and Jennifer Hood of Hood Spa, my favorite Southern California twin sister design team. They talk about collaboration, how they divvy up work between one another, and the ultimate goal of creating recurring revenue opportunities with their very own products. So without further ado, please enjoy this special rebroadcast of my conversation with Hood Spa. Amy and Jennifer Hood, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having yes. us. We're excited. Where am I reaching you today? We are at Hutzpah HQ. It's a magical place. Um, it's actually pouring outside and it never rains. So we're super stoked because every year they're like, El Nino's coming, the big one, it's coming. And then it never comes. And then our everything's dying. So because yes. we're in Newport Beach and we've been in like the longest drought ever. They started uh, police enforcing our water intake. So if you're <laughs> watering your plants more than one day consecutive, they'll like come around and give you tickets. Apparently that's what they say. <laughs> but they've threatened. <laughs> yeah. Have you been on the receiving end of one of these tickets yet? No, but I got pulled over for jaywalking. <laughs> the guy put his lights on and everything, maybe sit on a curb like a criminal. It was crazy. Yeah. No, I'm like the water enforcer of the neighborhood. Like somebody will have a broken sprinkler and I'm like, um, hello, we're in a drought. I'm like way too obsessed with like keeping the water intake down. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, we can talk about water all you want, but I'm excited to hear more about how the two of you are not only co-founders of Hood Spa Design, but are also fantastic artists and illustrators and adjunct faculty. So oh, go on, go me, on you. Tell me a little bit about not only your fabulous office there, but tell me about how you spend a typical day. What's that look like for each of you? Um, it's funny because, because we actually, we have a place where it's like live and work in scenario. The bottom floor of this space is all office. So it's got like a bathroom and a kitchen. And then we've got this really great wide open space where we all kind of sit together. And if people come in that we have subcontracted, there's a big table we can all work at and it's really nice. And then upstairs we have all the bedrooms and another living room. And there's this really epic rooftop patio, which is all over our Instagram feed. If you check it out. (laughs) And I'm familiar. um, Yes. Yes. We're obsessed with the rooftop, the rooftop pictures, but, um, but it it makes it great because, um, the, our, our staff only comes in twice a week. So we're able the other times to just kind of like, when we need to get up, we do. When we come down, you know, if Jen's down here, great. Otherwise, sometimes I just work from my bedroom or I'll go work from a coffee shop. It does make you realize though, that unless people are around, you'd look like a homeless person all the time. Like, you know, if you didn't have anyone to look okay for just okay really like I'm doing okay I got up I got dressed (laughs) but um when they're not here everything kind of just slowly you know slides down it's just like pajamas uh I've worn this sweater the same sweater for the (laughs) past three days you know and that's because they haven't been here so they keep me at my best I think when they come in yeah um but yeah so a typical day is really it just fluctuates you know sometimes we we all have like big projects that all of us are working on together and then we usually stay in the office but most of the time we do we're big on division of labor so Jen will be point person on one one client and I'm point person on another and we like meet together to critique and to you know bounce ideas at the beginning stages and throughout but mostly I mean I'm like Jen I trust you to take care of that and I'll take care of my shit and we'll meet in the middle when we need to <laughs> 
So your, uh, your team's not in five days a week. So tell me about how kind of that workflow works out and why you guys have it set up that way. Everything's on Skype. Like, well, and even then we pretty much have figured that if we prepare them well enough at the beginning of a project and if they have all the details and if they're familiar with the client, it's usually pretty easy to be like, all right, you know what they like, you know what they want. We've already discussed the goals. Um, so just run with it. Uh, if you need me, text me. Otherwise I'm usually on Skype if I'm working from home. And most of the time they don't, we don't ever have to like bug each other randomly. Um, every once in a while there's like a crisis and then you just text them. And that sounds really awful to have your boss texting you, but generally if you can work <laughs> wherever you want most of the time, I think it's kind of a good trade off, you know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So are you both still teaching right now? Yes. Yeah, so we just actually wrapped up um, finals last week and that was pretty exciting. We teach a class called professional practices, which I always think is kind of funny because it's definitely very subjective, right? Everybody's mm. idea <laughs> of professional and we are definitely more lax when it comes to like old school professionality. You know, um, we wear jeans with holes in them and, you know, I mean, I think it's just very subjective. Um, but generally the class is just us preparing them to not be like dipshits in the workplace really is what we like to say. It's like, Hey, <laughs> be a decent human, like, um, know how to look engaged, know how to be engaged. You know, I think the big thing too, is just like having them feel confident and starting to just push them and make them get out there and start uh, contacting people outside of school. Yeah. So we'll bring in a lot of our friends to come and talk and do little lectures. And then we'll like force them to tweet that person <laughs> throughout the week mm -hmm. or force the students to tweet the person. Um, a lot of forced tweeting, actually, just making them interact with people because we can't make them go to events outside of school time, but we can assign tweeting homework. Yeah. And we found that Twitter is such an easy way to connect them. Uh, with people that are way above and beyond what they think they can reach, but it's an underutilized, you know, medium. Totally and if is. you have something good to say, it's so easy to stand out because most people are just liking or retweeting or favoriting, or I guess it's the same liking and favoriting. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. So it's a lot of that. And then it's just helping them get their online portfolio and um, kind of giving them a heads up for, you know, what people look for, for good employees and things like that. Mock interviews, which scared the hell out of them, but then they realized that they totally killed it. So <laughs> most of it is like dispelling this thing that um, I think a lot of times in school, they kind of are trying to get you to think that until it's perfect, don't show anyone until you're perfectly ready. Don't go out. But it's mm -hmm. like, no, no, no. Just get out there. Start to fail. Start to <laughs> figure it out. And as long as you're not kind of running in a rut and going in circles, and as long as you're like critiquing yourself and getting better, then just get out there and start, you know? What do you think has been the biggest surprise from teaching? how uh, much lack of uh, excitement there is. It's like they're afraid to show you, you know how the whole thing about high school that you forgot about is that mm -hmm. like, it's not cool to be excited. It's cool not to care, right? It's like whoever cares the least, it has the most power. And even though they do care, you know they care because they're trying so freaking hard, you know? But um, they don't show it. And I think that's the most frustrating thing is like you want them to get excited and be proud of what they do. But that's probably the thing that they have the, the biggest trouble with is that showing confidence and passion in what they've done. Probably because they're waiting for you to say, no, that was wrong. Mm -hmm. Which is a lot of, you know, what you do in school is learning what's wrong. So... Yeah. I, and I also think it's hard um, that they're at the age, like we're only, you know, 29, just turned 29, just turned 29. <laughs> and <laughs> just clarifying. <laughs> anyway, some of the students are only like one of our students is 27. One of them is 29 as well. So I think a lot of it is um, they're still in the student mentality and I am expecting them to be like adults that are 
you know, proactively thinking and doing. And so a lot of it is just encouraging them to be proactive and not wait for assignments, which is what school teaches you to do. And a lot of them are like that, I will say. I was actually impressed that they're all so talented. That's true. It's at Laguna College of Art and Design. And um, the school does have a great, they, they make all these great connections with actual companies like Nike and Hurley, a lot of the local action sports companies and get them internships and get them in the workforce early, which is really amazing. amazing. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of these kids already are, well, and that's the other problem. All the teachers call them kids. So I started calling them kids, but they're freaking adults. That's, that's, the, biggest, that's <laughs> what I mean. it's the biggest problem is like the, the balance between giving them expectations so that you are treating them like an adult, but also remembering that they are still students. And so you can't expect too much and you, you still have to check in on them and be like, okay, are you doing that? Because I'll just give them deadlines. And I'm like, okay, this is due in three weeks. And then three weeks comes and everyone's like, Ooh, um, I forgot. <laughs> or whatever. And I'm like, I told you, like, you're supposed to write that in a planner, but you know, they just need, they need a little bit more encouragement. So I think it's, it's been a learning curve for us to, to learn to, I don't know, be a little bit more matronly, motherly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the right way to say it is, but teacher. So you start to see like which students really are just naturally obsessed with design and which ones you really have to push and help them to discover it further. And some of them just may never totally get it in the same way that we do perhaps, but. No, definitely. Where do you think that came from for you? Like when did you realize that you wanted to be a designer? I don't know. I think we always thought that it was like what we were doing was art. And then we realized when we got our first job, our first internship, which was also like, it was like a paid internship. It was a job and they taught us everything we knew. And then I was like, oh, okay. Design is much different than art because, you know, we're not just making everything we like just because we want to. There's a client involved and they have a huge say in what we do. And um, I don't know, but I, I think I always loved it. Um, because I just always loved art. We were always doing things. We were always had that entrepreneurial spirit of like, if you want to do something, make it, you know, don't Mm -hmm. wait for someone else to make it. So I think it was always kind of there. And then when, but that being said, I'm still not the guy who like, uh, or the girl who, um, (laughs) gets like the design magazines and like freaks out over like, you know, I don't know what the little parts of type are. I don't like, and I don't really bother myself about it either. Like, I still don't know the correct term. Can we like, cut this out? <laughs> no, 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 but like, certain terms I'll never know correctly. I just call it like the space between the letters on the lines <laughs> because um, we didn't go to school the full time. And that's like a shortcoming of mine, but I've kind of just been like, <laughs> okay, I'd like to clarify though that I know those terms because I've been creating fun. Well, one's, one's turning, one's tracking, one's letting. I don't know. They're, but I just tell them those, the spacing looks wrong. Like I still know how to, you know, tell them what's what. But uh, see, I have shortcomings too, but I don't obsess about it too much. I think it, to me, it's a little bit more like I know it internally. I just don't know mm-hmm. how to verbalize it, which is my own problem, which I should probably work on. <laughs> well, judging by your portfolio, I think you guys get it figured out pretty well in spite of maybe <laughs> not knowing the right word for which space. <laughs> Tell me about maybe one of your favorite projects right now. Ooh, well, Jen, you have a lot of cool ones. <laughs> well, I mean, cause we have right now, we have this really interesting like break. We're trying to do more personal projects um, through Hudspah. Um, and try, we're trying to figure out that passive income game, you know, like <laughs> I don't want to work for every dollar, you know, I want my, I want to make something and then it just brings the money in, you know, it's, I want this magical equation that somehow other people have figured out. So we basically tried to take off the whole month of December internally and we've been trying to figure out, okay, 
um, what are the things that we need to do inside Hoodspah to build something that can start making money for itself and gaining momentum? Because, or mm-hmm. at least something that we could delegate. We realize that the Hoodspah style that people are seeking is a little bit too specific to our design styles. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to delegate that to people who can replicate it. And so we realize that it's not something that we can really scale. We've, we've come to find out as easily. But with something that you could make that's more like product-based, which is Oh, odds and sods. <laughs> we had them right. Our oh, new, yeah. this is our new foray into our own brand. We separated it out from Hoodspah so it wouldn't be so niche to designers. Mm-hmm. We, it didn't feel like only designers can buy it. We wanted like everyone to feel like they could buy it. And we wanted to be able to promote it and push it without, um, I don't know, it feeling a little bit too like, pigeonholed, I guess. Yeah. 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 Well, and, for those of us who are just listening via audio, tell them a little bit about what the product is and kind of yeah. what your what your thought is. Um, yeah. So basically we're like, okay, well let's, let's do a product line because we had just, we, I had just made a couple of enamel pins that I, I got this idea in my head and I was like, Oh, we should make these enamel pins. They're so cool right now. And you know, I think it would go over well. And so we just did them on the shop of Hoodspun and it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was all very like, Oh, it'll just be for fun. As long as we break even, we'll be happy kind of thing. And then they just really took off and people really liked them. And I mean, the profit margin is low, obviously it's, we're selling them for like, eight to ten dollars you know so it's not like you'd have to t- sell a ton to make a kill yeah. but the thing is like i never understood how donut shops work like how do donut shops stay in business right they're selling like a <laughs> dollar product <laughs> yeah but the thing is it's all about like mass quantities right and the fact that mm. you can hire anyone to sell pedal them for you once you design the initial design <laughs> so that was the idea we've designed the initial design and when we started selling enough and it was kind of easy and we had someone else shipping it out for us, like it really wasn't hardly any work and we were making good profit margins or okay, yeah. you know, for a small uh, thing. And um, we were like, dude, if we could really push this a little harder and we could make like good profit margins, really the only des- involvement that we have to do is designing the initial product. And then we can kind of pass it off to someone else to manage, mm-hmm. which is great. That was the goal. Yeah. So, and we had had, we have a really good friend named, uh, Steve Thompson and he owns a company called hard pressed, which is a print shop. And they also do their own brand internally and it's in Canada. And so we had been doing a lot of trips with him. We're, we're working on like a small amateur documentary about creativity with him. Mm, very and, cool. Yeah. And he just kept talking to us. He was like, you guys, you got to figure out this product line ever since I've done it. Like it's changed my whole business. And since like since that trip we took two months ago, he's completely nixed all of his client projects because he has no time. All he has time for is his own stuff because it's getting such a good response. And the great and thing about it like, is, is like you just make what you want to make and then you just sell it. <laughs> like, oh, right. But he was doing like specific stuff for his hometown. And so he, it's Saskatoon, Canada. And he was like, you guys live in LA, San Diego area with millions of people at your fingertips. If you could make cool product that, you know, locals and tourists would like, like you could make a killing is basically what he was thinking. So we were like, oh, that is true. Like we're proud to live here. So we started making these like California based pins and we were like, oh, you know what? We've been so many places. Design has allowed us to go so many places. Like mm-hmm. you brought us out to Indiana yeah. and we got to explore Indianapolis and that was so awesome. And, you know, we've been there before, but we'd never seen the city, you know? And so we thought, oh, okay, this is a cool brand that we could make where it could celebrate these places that we've gotten to see that have so much character and personality and that people are really proud to call home and, and hopefully people, you know, are get excited about it and hopefully we can make some money off it. (laughs) Yeah. Very nice. I'm going to have to cut this podcast short so I can go create my own product and (laughs) make a killing. Indianapolis product. Sell some indie themed stuff. I think 
I mean, even before you guys got this product thing officially figured out in your minds, I think you've always done a great job of, you know, selling Hoodspot merch and shirts and patches and posters. And it just seems like it's always been part of your your brand, even if it wasn't like officially part of your business model. So talk to us a little bit about why you got into doing that in addition to the client work in the first place. Like where do you, how do you make time and find time and what was kind of the inspiration there? Well, first of all, Amy doesn't sleep. So (laughs) that's kind of how we make time. It's just Amy's a vampire. Um, But that being said, where it came from as far as inspiration, I think we were always just those like nerdy, like emo kids who just wanted to like make t-shirts for our friends' bands and just like, we thought that you could make millions of dollars doing that. <laughs> and we realized that you couldn't. <laughs> and, but we were always trying to make posters and sell greeting cards. We were just always trying to like make our own things. I don't know why. Well, when we were younger, our mom would have us when we were like seven. She was like, here, you guys illustrate a kid's book and, and we'll try and sell it. Like it never fully got done. But her yeah. always like putting these little schemes, ideas and yeah. schemes into our heads. And she bought us this book when we were 10 about how some little kid started a lemonade stand and made a million dollars or something like she was always like pumping our tires, you know, like you could do this. So I think it, it actually worked. Yeah. No, I'm always really thankful that she gave us this really like blind faith that we could do anything. And it's, it's been great, but it, I mean, obviously also you fail, but at the end of the day, you're like, no, but I could still do it. Even though that one failed, I can still, we could still make this happen, you know? So. Yeah. Well, I think on, on top of that, you've obviously done a great job of like sharing a lot of what's going on behind the scenes uh, via social media, especially Instagram and, you know, sharing all the photos and all the Southern California culture kind of images. Talk to me a little bit about kind of the intentionality of your social media presence. I think it started out um, strangely just being something non-intentional, that, <laughs> non-intentional, but we learned it. I'm lear- we realize now when we try to quantify it, that we learned it subconsciously through all the surf and skate brands around Southern California. Mm-hmm. So they're all about lifestyle branding. So whenever anybody would start a brand locally, what they would do is get their friends who are sponsored surfers or skaters to wear their, their stuff. Like, mm-hmm. and that cool guy wearing his, their t-shirt around suddenly everybody who's not as good at surfing thinks that they need to wear that t-shirt. If they're going to be that good at surfing. So, or just to be recognized with that culture. And so it was just cultural alignment. And so when we started our things, we're like, oh, we should send it to people that align with our brand values that we want to be associated with, not in some sort of like a tricky way, not in any sort of tricky way, but just like, hey, you're our friend. You do cool stuff. We do cool stuff. So we think, (laughs) and we'd love you to have one and wear it around. And if you like it, post about it. And they did like it and they did post about it. And sometimes, um, (laughs) sometimes, yeah. And so through that, you kind of get this brand alignment with other people who people in your similar circles look up to, and you kind of just grow your audience organically through the people who would naturally want to buy it anyways. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it doesn't feel like such a push. Like, you know, if you're buying, if you're buying likes or you're buying, you know, followers or whatever, like that engagement levels, it's going to end up dropping off and it's, it's, it doesn't ever really shine through. Right. It's like, you've got 700 likes, but nobody's ever commented on it, you know, and it's, it always looks kind of suspicious, right? Like yeah. you want people who are actually excited because then they tell their friends and then it becomes like a, an entity of its own that you don't even have to, to work, you know, like pushing that hard. You just say like a grassroots movement, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but, I, it is hard and people always say this, but if you just do something that you genuinely believe in, you know, it does come through. And so I guess just, and it has been helpful that, uh, we're super, 
social, I guess. I don't know how you would say it, but we do like hanging out with people, talking to people. And we've kept in touch with everybody, almost everyone we've ever met <laughs> is who we've kept in touch with. And so always having those ties and keeping up and saying, you know, seeing how people are, they, they remain invested in what you're doing and you remain invested in what they're doing. And because of that, we've, you know, known a lot of people who've gone on to do awesome things that we've then been able to partner with. Mm-hmm. And it's just worked out really well. So yeah, I feel like people always say, oh, how do you get work? And that's like the big question when you, when somebody is on the stage for an interview or a podcast is everyone always wants to know how everyone else is getting clients. And I feel like for most people, it's like, oh, I just had friends that were doing cool things, right? So it's just keeping in touch with your community or even just your friend circle, or even sometimes it's like your mom's friend, like just never being afraid to talk to anyone because you know, anybody could have a great idea. And if you only hang out with designers, like you're kind of limiting yourself to the kind of, the kind of, I don't know, ideas that are coming in. But if you're talking to everybody, they need designers. So it's better to have friends that are in completely different spheres, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe it doesn't seem like it applies to, to really invest in talking to these random people in different arenas, but I've always found it, it's really cool to, to just get out there and, and really invest in your community just in general. So this is a little shift of gears, but um, sometimes my business partner and I joke that we share the brain. So I can imagine even more so as sisters, not only sisters, but twins running a business together and you sort of have the same title as well. So talk to me a little bit about kind of how you guys share the role or do you both do the same thing? Are you both actively pursuing those new relationships for new projects or are you both art directing kind of the same or how, how would you compare one another in your business role? So we're kind of like islands, <laughs> but also, I don't know, we're like ships running parallel. <laughs> we're part of a fleet, but, <laughs> yeah, but we're good. not connected. We like do our own things and strangely and then we meet in the middle, like an H. My friend has this oh, analogy yeah. of like two, cro- two like bars and then the crossbars when we meet in the middle to be like, are we still on the same path? Cool. Let's keep going. <laughs> you know? um, because we don't share clients as far as like, it's all under Hoodspa, of course, but mm-hmm. we don't, we usually don't pass the client back and forth depending on the project. Once a client is familiar with one of us and has a good working relationship, we continue to be the point person for that client and the one who does most of the, the, you know, art direction because they're familiar and it would be super confusing trying to mostly because of that, yeah, like which twin is doing what. So we really try and keep it separated just for, you know, sanity's sake. sake. Yeah. Uh, it's something we learned in middle school. They never, after middle school, let us be in the same uh, classes <laughs> for everybody's sanity. But, um, when, when it comes to critiquing, we help each other. But um, as far as business roles, it's kind of just developed naturally. Um, Amy tends to do a little bit more on the social media side and like coming up with like new product ideas. She'll usually be the like the front person there. And then I'll mm-hmm. kind of like follow suit. And then when it comes to uh, keeping our website updated and business business side stuff, um, I'll usually do could just kind of take those things on myself. Um, but we both do illustration. We both do... Amy's probably a little bit more, can do a little bit more detailed. She's better at like typography and hand lettering and that kind of thing. And then Jen definitely does more of the web projects. She's definitely got more experience as far as, you know, if we're building out a huge website, like knowing enough about UI UX and user flow and all that kind of good stuff to know how to, if I did it, I could, but it would just take me three times as long. So I think it's just when you have a business partner, it's just a matter of like, yeah, we both could be doing these things, but I'm so much quicker at this one thing. And, and you're so much better and quicker at this other thing. And I think that's hard because you want to do it all right. It's all fun and it's all, mm-hmm. it's nice to get 
variety. And I actually believe that you should get variety in your work. So we, we do try to do a lot of different things, but then at some point you have to be like, okay, just as far as like making this business efficient and giving our clients the best products. I think everyone has to have that moment in the business when it's like, okay, listen, you're really good at this. We're going to make you the head of this, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And it's like, you can still do these other things. And we always try and make sure that everyone feels like they're getting enough creativity and all that kind of thing. But, um, I just started telling Jen, I'm like, why am I still trying to do websites, website design? Like, for big sites, you know, like you are so much better at that. And it just comes more naturally to you the way your mind works. So mm-hmm. I think it's hard to do though. Like with your company, do you have to, did you guys have to have that conversation when you, when you merged? It's like, okay, mm-hmm. who does what now? Yeah. Yeah. Especially since we were both in such a similar role beforehand. Exactly. So it's that like, well, so- I sort of, you know, emptied the trash and did sales and sort of was executive creative director. Oh, that's what I did too. So it was, you know, figuring out like, but it worked out, you know, it's similar in that we're, we're very similar, but we figured out kind of where each other, where our swim lanes should be. <laughs> right. Swim lanes. That's good. Yeah. And I think it's good to have um, similar styles because obviously we're getting a certain kind of work, you know, so mm-hmm. it's easy to, to be, for me to feel overwhelmed and then say, Jen, I just need help. Can you like, can you work on a few logo mock-ups for me on this one? Like I'm just so stuck and I, I don't feel like an island. It's not like Jen only does UI UX or just web design. She's like, Oh yeah, I can help. I'll like ideate with you tomorrow. And it's really nice having an outlet and not feeling like a freelance Island, which I think a lot of people in our generation, it's the freelancer generation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's easy to feel kind of alone, which is why these workplace like co-ops are taking off. So, so big, I think. So outside of going to one another, when you get stuck, how else do you find inspiration or get over a, a tough spot? We have a couple of friends that we've, started these relationships which with that are really cool where we'll just have this weird text thread <laughs> that's just like stupid shit that you know like oh did you see uh this hilarious thing and just stupid stuff so it's kind of like a hip chat but just on text message <laughs> and um uh, so there's this guy locally josh ariza and he's a really great illustrator and, and then so, another one is joel bugelman from google who's like super smart like he's one, he also has a podcast called balance or die um and so Sometimes it's like if you're just stuck on something and you just need like, which one do you like, A or B? And you just send them a text message. What do you think, A or B? Um, or uh, Twitter's great. Dribble's usually pointless if you want helpful critiques. But if mm. you want like to feel like amazing about a design, like <laughs> Dribble. Not always. As long as you say, I think you just have to say like, hey, guys, I need some real critiques. Well, some people can be really harsh for no reason. You're like, that doesn't even matter. The worst <laughs> is when someone on Dribble like tears down your stuff and then you go to their thing and you're like, really <laughs> you're gonna be critical <laughs> with me about this okay i could go off on all this stuff well <laughs> but phil jackson wasn't a great basketball player and he was a great coach so you don't have to be a that great player true. to be a good coach <laughs> i am worried because this is kobe's last season and i'm like please let him coach or do something like i want him to stay around but i'm like he would be the worst coach because he's he's Expects just too much <laughs> well he is like he's got that un like you can't you can't I don't know, get that kind of talent unless you're born with it to a certain level, right? Like you can, you can grow talent, but only to a certain level. So it's like, I don't know, he probably would be a terrible coach, but <laughs> sidetrack. <laughs> hey, we're all about obsessions here. So if Kobe is the <laughs> obsession, I guess that's the topic. <laughs> so outside of Kobe, what kind of dream project do you have on your radar that you'd like to work on next? 
Oh man. For me personally, I, my dream project is what we're working on now, this whole odds and sods brand, because I can see how we could make it something really special and unique. And so it's more like dream people to bring on board to help me make it what like I think it could be. Right. So mostly I just want to get some of my friends that I think are just tastemakers and amazing people that are doing really cool things to want to be a part of it. So we want to get brand ambassadors kind of like the surf industry does. And we want to have people that just take it around on their adventures. And, you know, we can, we can share their story through this brand and just, I don't know. I just think it, it could be so cool. And we're the thing that we're going to start focusing on more because enamel pins are really fun, but I feel like they could be fleeting and the profit obviously is much smaller just because it's such a small item. Mm -hmm. So we we definitely want to start doing like a handkerchief line. So something where it's like, Men can wear it and they can dress it up if it's a pocket square or they can dress it down and it can just be like a rag that you use around when you're fixing up your bike. And then women can wear it around their necks or they can wear it in their hair. Like it's something that's unisex. So you don't have to worry about size breakdown, which is the most annoying part of product is <laughs> ordering the right sizes on any kind of t-shirts, which we learned with our t-shirts. We have like 20, 20 women's large t-shirts <laughs> left that we cannot get rid of. And, uh, <laughs> But so it's unisex. So that makes it easy. And then it's just something that is like timeless, right? No matter what, you're going to need that like shop rag, or you're going to need like a little touch of color in your, in your suit. And I feel like it's kind of like stance socks. They did a great job of taking something that seemed kind of like, okay, that's a cool thing. Like socks, you need them. And some of them are cool, but they made it like sock game is now a thing. Like there's a hashtag for sock game. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I want to do that. I want to make like, I want to make handkerchiefs our thing, like, and make it like upscale, kind of like Stan's did, make it like this thing that people, people think is a necessary thing, even though it's, I don't know, it's not necessary to have really awesome socks that you pay $20 for, but it feels like it now. But <laughs> it kind of is. Like it kind it of is necessary. It kind of is necessary. Exactly. I feel like the next thing, you know how it's like enamel pins. I feel like the next thing will be like those Disney collector porcelain plates. We should just start designing <laughs> porcelain plates or something. Like I, it's so random. They're I pretty much think, all Disney collectible things. I don't think Jen is correct on that. <laughs> so maybe you could do like a like they do in the software world. You do a subscription service for your enamel pins. So you, oh, kind you of buy like a it. year worth and you pay $12 a month or whatever a pen oh, costs. Yeah. You get a different pin. So everybody you sell a pin to, you sell 12 pins to. Yeah, I like that idea of of like inch by inch, which is mm-hmm. like Bob Ewing, your, your crew in Indiana. Yeah. But like all these people are doing these great like subscription-based uh, models that I think are so interesting. That's such a genius way to make sure you have a loyal customer. It's just so genius. We should figure that out. Oh, um, what happens when you run out of jacket room? <laughs> <laughs> no, you swatch out. I'm a That's swap. right. I'm a you got to keep it fresh. Yeah, you got to keep it fresh. So what do you think you'll be doing in 10 years from now? Hopefully less of the actual hands-on work as far as like, um, like I still want to be designing always, uh, but I hope that a lot of what our actual income is, is based off of more something that can be like delegated and that we can focus more on like the creativity. Um, yeah, more like of what we want to do. Yeah. And then, uh, which is obviously, I think everyone's goal is like to be doing more of what you want to do, to be happier, <laughs> to have more money. Like, that. <laughs> but um, but I think now we actually have like a, a valid way of getting closer to that. Um, but also keeping client work. I think client work is a great thing to keep you grounded and to remember that there's people's opinions outside of yours that do matter. Um, yeah, I, so that you don't become like a small demigod who thinks that like no matter what, you know everything that's right because <laughs> it's a dangerous thing to your brand when you think that like 
you've always done it right and no one else knows anything and no one else can add anything. So in a way I like client work because it does remind me that there's outside forces and that it helps me stay malleable to critique. Mm-hmm. Which That's I like. really true. I have to agree. Yeah. I feel like a lot of designers, once they do their own thing completely, yeah, they do become a little, I don't know if insufferable is the right word, but <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's just like, no, 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 do your own thing. Everyone else be fucked. And it's like, well, I don't know if that's necessarily it, but it's like, yeah, it's easy to get into that rut of like, everyone loves what I do. I, you know, I could just plan anything and it would be gold. And it's like, well, not necessarily. Like you should always iterate and you should always get outside feedback and you always have to be willing to accept that maybe, Hey, this wasn't the right decision for this, you know? And that's probably why we'll always keep a bit of uh, service based and product based, um, just in case, you know, so that you, way you have a couple different diversified income lines and if anything kind of goes up or down, you're somewhat covered. Yeah. So, and I want to own a timeshare in Palm Springs. (laughs) 10 years. And be retired. I want to retire by 36. So I want less than more, like more pool days per capita, like per yeah. year, per annum uh, yes, than go. I had five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a very Southern California goal. <laughs> of course, you're both uh, Midwestern girls at heart, right? Yeah. Well, Kentucky's the South, I guess, right? Mid-South, so, mid, like mid, mid, middle mid-east, South. Mid-Eastern South. Yeah. <laughs> it always cracked me up. I'm going to say some things about Ohio right now, <laughs> but it always Go on. Me because we're right on the line between Ohio and Kentucky. It's, it's a line. Wait, Ohio doesn't, does Ohio border? Yes, it borders Kentucky. And oh. people in Ohio would be like, oh, we're so Northern. And I'm like, and you're so Southern. And I'm, it's, we're so close. Apparently <laughs> Kentucky was part of, mainly part of the North for most of the civil war right mm-hmm. and for a while it was the yankee like headquarters <laughs> so i didn't know I, I just know mason dixon line ran oh, but, somewhere. okay going back we are from kentucky most people don't know that yet i don't think but we are we're we live kentucky there, proud yeah from like fifth grade till uh through sophomore year and then we moved to california so i think growing up though in like i'm so glad i grew up in kentucky i just think they just there's something so great about like they they're not afraid to work hard. They, they like, that's something that's valued out here. It's like, how can I do nothing? No, and no, have a BMW. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, it's, a, it's a difference in culture though. So here the culture is, is like, um, the more you can like be efficient at working oh, that's true. so that you can rest more, that's your badge of honor. Whereas I feel like in the South, your badge of honor is more like, can you be humble and proud of working hard, even if you're not making as much, um, you know, as Joe Schmo, as you know, the other guy, it's not so much competitive. It's more like, can you be great, happy and content? And that's more of, I think a bit of the Bible belt, you know, part of that culture, which I like, I think the whole, like their grapple on like, uh, contentment and you know being thankful for what you have is amazing whereas here it's very much like no hustle harder because you want more and you want and that's good too because it you know drives you to get further so yeah I guess it's about they meet in the middle to create a perfect confusion (laughs) (laughs) yeah I just want to be grateful but I also want to have I want to be always like striving for better things right I want to strive for our company to grow and I want to strive so yeah I guess it's a meeting in the middle I don't know it's these two versions of capitalism that meet in the middle in a place called chutzpah. Yes. <laughs> Do you have any um, design heroes? Anybody you look up to, especially? Interesting. It's funny that it changes for me. Like right now, the, the designers that impress me are the people that have learned how to really successfully monetize their services because it's so hard to do, right? To get what you feel you're worth 
for your work. So like right now, whenever I talk to my friend, Mark Hemian, who I call Mr. Mr. Big Google hotshot man, um, because Does he, still work at Google? he doesn't even still work at Google, but he like, he worked at YouTube. He designed like the YouTube interface, like helped on the team. He worked at dig and he's worked at a lot of companies that have really like grown while he's been there. And then he worked at Google and then, um, he left and he sold apps. Like he's done all those things that are really impressive in the tech world. Right. And he's just so smart when it comes to like figuring out if ideas are, are going to work. And, and he's just, he just seems like he hasn't nailed down as far as how to, how to monetize well, the service that he's providing. And so for me right now, people like that are really impressive to me because I'm, we're still trying to figure that out. I think a lot of it is because we didn't go to school. So it's a lot of it was like, Oh, what is this worth? Like, and just kind of figuring it out along the way. So right now those people are really impressive to me, Mm -hmm. but for sure, as far as design wise, I don't know what, I mean, I'm always, Oh, there's this girl, uh, Shauna acts is her like, uh, Twitter handle. I can never remember her real last name, but anyways, uh, she just does this amazing, like modern, like slash a little bit retro eighties infused design that I'm really obsessed with lately. But, um, I mean, you know, our, we have so many great people that we all talk with on Twitter and stuff. I mean, you're an amazing designer, you know, James White, he's always putting out amazing stuff. He's just a machine. That always impresses me. Just yeah. how guy's much a machine. puts out. Yeah. Him Especially because he's, he's doing so many speaking tours. So it's always like so impressive to me. Just like, he just loves it. You can tell. And that comes through. Um, so that's always really impressive to me. Dan Petty created a conference that people are paying $3,000 to go to. I think that's super impressive. Like he's really created like an experience that's worth because, you know, he's completely changed the way a conference, you know, is created, which I think is really impressive. Um, you know, I don't yes. know. all these people, the, yeah. I mean, there's just so many amazing. Dan Cassaro and like Sam, oh, I forgot his last name. But anyway, all these type guys are really interesting me too now because there's, it's just like these little differences in, in, um, you know, swashes and, and angles and, and all this stuff. And it makes such a big difference. And you look at their work and it's just, it just feels really intentional and, I don't know. I, I really look up to those guys. Simon Walker. For you. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then just like people like Nick Slater just pumping it out and it's always good. And you're just like, how? Oh. <laughs> I think he sleeps less than we do. So yeah, probably. Yeah, he's crazy. But, and he's really excited about it. I know. It's so cool. And we all met together at Creative South. That That's right. Shout yeah, out and to actually, Creative South. Shout out to Creative South. And he's the one who got us that speaking gig. And then Mike Jones was gracious enough to invite us over there and it was our first one and it was terrible and I'm always so thankful that Mike let us do it because I'm like it was so bad (laughs) you always have to get that first one out of the way you know and then you kind of get better from there hopefully yeah but that's a good picture maybe it uh, involves speaking and maybe not but what what's your best piece of advice that you give to your students and other young designers Okay. There's a few. Yeah. (laughs) But I think the first one is just being excited, looking like investing. And when you're talking to someone like actually listening and actually getting, you know, excited for what they have to say, but also being excited about what you have to say, like, Oh yeah. And I think always like as cheesy as it is before you go, go somewhere, if you're worried about like um, talking off the cuff to someone just like casually think about what you're working on, know what you're going to tell because they're going to ask you, Oh, what are you working on? If you're like, Oh, I don't know. Like you just blew your shot. Like know what you're working on. Be proud to talk about it. You know, like, oh, I'm working on this and it's super awesome. It's really cool. This company, like know what you're doing and be ready to talk about it confidently. I think uh, even if it's not the best thing ever, act like it's the best thing ever. You know, <laughs> like I, I think there is something to say about bravado kind of like really like engaging people, even if it's not wholly deserved. And it does go a little bit of a way until you do get the confidence and the the skill maybe to actually like 
really pull your weight. Yeah. So for younger designers, I would say that. Our, one of the big things that we've been focusing on a lot recently, and we're trying to figure out, we did a talk about it through connecting things, which is this, it's basically similar to creative mornings. And it's this thing we started with a group of our friends here in Orange County. And it's just a creative meetup where somebody talks for like 15 minutes and then everyone can just hang out for 30 to 45 minutes and meet other creative people in, in the area. And so we did this talk and it was called attitude versus gratitude. And it was just kind of the balance of being thankful for the work you have and being thankful for, you know, the projects that, that people bring to you and, and entrust you with, but also striving, striving for, for more. So like that balance that we were kind of talking about earlier. Um, cause I think it's easily as a designer to just get really down sometimes, like working with clients can be really hard. You know, you're trying to lead them to understand the importance of, you know, the decisions that you made when you created these mock-ups, but a lot of times they're just not going to get it and they're going to want to make changes. And sometimes actually those changes are good because they know their industry probably better than we do, you know? So it's definitely a meeting in the middle and it, just remembering that, you know, their input can make it better and being thankful that they brought you the work. Like our friend Sarah Armstrong is always like, the client is not the enemy. They're the one who actually gave you this opportunity to do what you do and get paid to design. Yeah. Otherwise you're homeless and you're, you know, eating ramen <laughs> in your mom's basement. So, you know, like be thankful for them. And I think it does show through when they feel appreciated and when they feel heard, um, they probably are going to give you a little bit more leeway. And yeah, and they're probably more likely to listen to you. Right. So it's like, it has, it has to be a two way street. So that's a big thing that we've been talking about a lot too, because, yeah, I even hear my students sometimes they're like, yeah, I was at this internship and they were like trying to tell me to do this and this and this. And I'm like, yeah, it's an internship. They're supposed <laughs> to teach you. <laughs> you know, and so you don't always get to do what you want to do. A lot of times our students are like, oh, but that's not really like the kind of design I want to do. And I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of how life goes. You know, <laughs> like it's just like what you have to do sometimes. <laughs> so, but be grateful for it and show them that you can knock it out of the park, even if it's not something that you would normally do. And you, you'll be shocked at sometimes how that circles back to you because you took it seriously, even though it was something that you could have been like, yeah, like half of the jobs we have now are from people that knew we worked hard on shit, like maybe shitty projects, I guess you could say. Like we worked at a Clipper magazine for our first two years in design, basically. And I have so many friends who knew us from that arena that knew that we worked hard and knew that we could do like maybe more than what we were doing at that job. And when they went on to work at awesome companies, they were like, wait, I know a girl who has good rates and she's a really great designer. And they remember that about you, right? They remember, because I think a lot of times like people knowing that you can deliver on time and that you'll actually be there like and actually like follow through is worth sometimes more than your um, design sense <laughs> in a corporate scenario. And it's sad to say, but uh I've had a lot of people tell me that, like, I can't depend on that person. I wish I could use them, but I just can't. I don't know if they're going to write me back or even send me files. On time. Right. So, yeah. Well, that's a lot of very good advice. We're running down on time here. So um, tell our listeners, if you would, all the places they can find you and check out your uh, antics online. <laughs> oh, man, there's so many places. We're on all the things. Um, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram for Hoodspah. And um, it's hoodspahdesign.com. H O O D Z P A H design.com. Yes. Cool. And we'll be sure and link to all of that stuff in the uh, show notes. But yeah, and then odds and sods is oddsandsods.co. And we also have an Instagram for that too. And then we have our personal stuff where we just do silly things. So yeah, just Google us. Very nice. We'll we'll be sure to Google you and we'll we'll link up to all of that stuff in the show notes. Cool. Thanks, Thanks Josh. Josh. Amy and Jennifer Hood. 
Thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, guys, that is episode number 66 in the books. For all of today's show notes, head over to obsessedshow.com and look for Amy and Jennifer Hood. While you're on the interwebs, head over to iTunes and be sure you are subscribed to the show. And we would really appreciate a rating and review to help other people find the show. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Head over to milesherndon.com to learn more about what we're up to today. Our intro music is Matchbox Girl by Cassie Joe, and our show is always edited by the Brassy Broadcast Company. To learn more about what Jen Eds and her team are up to, visit brassybroad.com for more details. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.